Hello everyone, welcome back to the channel. It is great to welcome Jacob Tanswell from The Athletic, formerly covered AFC Bournemouth, and he's going to talk about where Bournemouth are right now. Jacob, always a warm welcome for you. Fantastic to have you on the channel again. How are you doing, buddy? Really good, thank you. Yeah, uh, always enjoy coming on. I, I listen, I watch uh, all the po all the podcasts, everything on, on the YouTube channel. I still like to keep up to date with what's happening at Bournemouth. And yeah, it's been a really interesting time since I've left. So show some love for Jacob Tanswell on this video. Give the video a like. Also subscribe to the channel as we are on our way comfortably to 2,000 subscribers and do use those comments at the end of the video. Now, Jacob, nowadays you're covering Aston Villa. You're on a European tour. It must be different from covering stuff in the relegation zone or some troubled moments at AFC Bournemouth and Southampton. So a different season for you, but you are still keeping a keen eye on the cherries you do much very like to see what's going on down at the south coast at the court yeah it's been a my first two seasons you know covering the club full time were contrasting obviously the first year was at bournemouth obviously there's a few dips but ultimately success promotion everything was great feel good factor everything and then the season after really enjoyed it you know slammed obviously the club you know i've grown up with uh but obviously they weren't very good. So that obviously makes things difficult in terms of what you can write about. It always has to be a little bit negative. Um, so it was a difficult season in that respect, but I, I loved it there. Um, and then I've come here, which is, you know, you're not, Villa aren't going to win the league, but they're certainly not going to get relegated. It feels like it's a real encouraging, optimistic feel. And uh, I've obviously moved to the air and it's it's a really good next step in my in my career. Um, but in terms of Bournemouth, I, I obviously have connections with the club still. People I speak to, you know, daily, regularly, you know weekly so i've always i watch bournemouth games you know in the week from, from the weekends so i'm always keeping abreast of that and i know that you know if there's a transfer window or this big news uh i i expect myself to be across that and, and to get the big story so i will always keep up to date listening to what the fans think and, and, and people around the club and yeah that's why I, I really wanted to do something with you here and there is some content from Jacob Tanswell this season covering AFC Bournemouth. So do check that out on The Athletic. And Jacob Tanswell de details will be in the description below for social media like Twitter. Now, Jacob, we will get stuck into Andoni Iriola, Bill Foley, the project, the vision, the philosophy. But I do want to sort of reverse a little bit right back to last season. Just got promoted. Scott Parker got off to a flying start against Aston Villa. Was great to get three points on the board. Didn't end well a few games later. Then Gary O'Neill took over as interim and was asked to get to the World Cup that was in November and get some points on the board. Bill Foley got the ownership over the line and had these visions and projects that he wanted to do get the training ground started and we know that's happening then Gary O'Neill was tasked with becoming permanent head coach and keeping Bournemouth up he did that with four games to go it was disappointing that we sort of let the season go at the end and we didn't lose well we lost the last four games and we checked out but ultimately it felt to me Jacob like for Bill Foley it was getting his feet under the table and just securing that status and retention of Premier League football for this season yeah, it was. Uh, he obviously brought a, a lot of his own guys in, in and around the club. You know, a lot of Americans working in the commercial departments within within the structure of the club. There's guys that have come from, you know, different organisations within sports, you know, something the UFC to improve the commercial revenue, to drive revenue, to increase exposure overseas. These are all things that are building Bournemouth structurally and, and Bill Foley wants to see things 
or benefits longer term. Um, and one of those things, obviously, was to create a team on the pitch in his image. He obviously hasn't got the wealth of knowledge uh, around football, but he knows that he wants to see a progressive um, for front of foot entertaining team. Because if a team's not entertaining, how would you expect, you know, people in America to start following Bournemouth, they'll think oh, it's a little bit boring, middle of the road. They want to, yeah, they want heavy duty football. They want really exciting football. And that's why the decision was made to obviously remove Gary O'Neill. He, he did his remit, as everyone likes to say, really good promising coach. I'm sure he's going to go on and be a really good coach. But for the time being, uh, Bournemouth needed someone better in terms of being more progressive, more entertaining, uh, knowing their philosophy. I don't think Gary O'Neill's um, got that staunch philosophy yet. Um, where Andonia Arreola had, uh, you know, Radicano. So, yeah, that he became available on the market. Leeds loved him last season, uh, and it was a it was a too good opportunity to turn down. And, and both were ambitious, and and they took a risk on on hiring him. So there have been changes off the pitch. Some have worked. Some aren't quite quite working at the moment. But again, we're very early into this ownership. I remember when the full-time whistle went at Goodison Park in that final game, Jacob, and I and I said it on the channel that it was a big decision for Bill Foley to make this preseason. Did he sort of stick with going with Gary O'Neill, give him a chance at another season? It would likely have been a season where it would have been tough to watch at times. We might have picked up some scouts, some wins. We probably would have got over the line. And then we probably would have fizzled out at the end if you based it on what we saw. Now, Gary O'Neill might have turned into a coach that had an identity and philosophy and worked that out over the preseason. But the news broke and it, and it was a bit of a shock to me. I was preparing for Gary O'Neill to lead this side into the first nine, ten games. And Bill Foley sort of decided to make a decision and that decision was to change direction go with a strategy that was a brighton type model and he met he mentioned that during the change of appointments and he decided to go with andolia iriola who had been identified within the club as the man to live this vision and philosophy and i agreed with it jacob i could see it and i said it at goodison park it would not surprise me if we switched it up and we did before we go to look at the first nine games in the Premier League for Bournemouth and where we are in the league table, I absolutely got it. And when I looked at the social media and the timeline of Bournemouth fans, it seemed like they got it as well. And it seemed like the decision was right in what Bill Foley was thinking. Yeah, I, you know, I can completely see uh, both sides. And I think it's what you preferably prefer, you know, in terms of do you want to stick with a guy if you think he, he came in, you know, troubleshooted in after Scott Parker decided to basically down tools and, and pass the buck onto everyone else. And you might say, okay, give Gary O'Neill a good preseason. He might be able to stamp his authority, his identity onto the club. But then on the flip side, you say, hold on, this is a guy in Antonio Ariolo that can actually come in. We, we know his style and we can straight away mould the recruitment, mould the structure around him in that style of play. Um, and it's really important, I'm sure we'll get onto it, but that if he does leave, that will hire someone essentially in the same vision as him because that's how the way they want to go. They have to double down on that travel of direction. Uh, but the difference with uh, Brighton, which Bill Foley mentioned, is that they had a training ground, they had an infrastructure, they had people there that really aligned with with what he wanted or what the manager wanted and, and the vision. Where Bournemouth are, are kind of doing both things at the same time. They're still trying to get their structure right and the support network right and still trying to get the manager right and the player. So it's all a lot of change. 
and there's not really a stable foundation yet. You know, even Bill Foley's new to the club. So, you know, this year I, I always thought it would be, a, you know, be a transitional period, but I thought they signed really well. And I think if those players can eventually get some stability, then it's going to be the perfect platform to build on. You know, you see Milos Kerkesh, I, th I think he's one of the best left backs, young left backs in Europe. Uh, but is he, has he got the structure around him? Has he got a left back behind him if he has a bad run of games where he can where he can just drop out the team? So that's probably on the pitch an, an example of where not everything's quite coordinated yet. So what I did expect, Jacob, when this happened, and I was quickly firing onto Google and YouTube, find out about Andoni Iriola and people outside of Bournemouth who know a lot about football were like, you've got a great guy here. Like he's worked his way through the Spanish pyramid. He's done great stuff at Vallecano. He's beaten the big sides in a style that's exciting. We were here in rock and roll football, organised chaos. He spoke about it in his intro video when he signed as head coach for the club. And when you sign someone like Andoni Iriola, I expected that there would be a serious project plan here. So Andoni comes in with his team that he's been successful with previously. You've got an idea in, in what Andoni wants as a team on the pitch and how you can recruit to fit that identity. And you almost give this guy half a chance to succeed. The calendar fixture list came out, which didn't look pretty either. On reflection now, going back to that and the point of where we're going to get to is I feel a little bit sorry for him because I feel like he hasn't got all the tools, not even close to having all the tools here to not 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 even get us out of the relegation zone, but succeed in what the vision is. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I think when he was in talks to have the job, he would have discussed transfer targets and recruitment. You know, these players were identified on the list and and only would have would have had a look and seen if those players would have fit the system. And judging by the type of players they went for, young, you know, quite athletic, I, th I think personally they do. The issues are, like you say, the support network and is everything ready to go for him just to come in straight away and embed his philosophy. I think they've had misfortune, but also oversights in terms of some of the players they've signed. You know, they they've always prided themselves on. Signing players that are fit, they pass the medical, stringent medicals. They've you know rejected Flynn Downs a couple of years ago when they're in the championship. You know Nicholas Jackson. This is they've got a history of turning down, rightly so, players because they've seen something wrong in their medicals. But all of a sudden, they've got a few players now: Tyler Adams, uh, Alex Scott. I know he did it a little bit later. Uh, Sinistiera. There's still question marks. I don't think this has been covered enough. Sinistiera's got question marks over his knees, over other other issues as well. Um, so I think that's a bit of a misfortune and I'm sure we'll come on to it Kirk uh, the assistant manager and his backroom staff as well I think if you're going to embed that type of heavy duty high pressing style where the margins between success and getting ripped apart are so fine you need every single coach knowing the nuances of of how to press uh, so not having his backroom staff is obviously a challenge immediately yeah absolutely so it would have been a big task instantly for Andoni as they flew out to hot weather in Spain, I think Marbella. These players for the last three seasons under three head coaches, and you could probably include Eddie Howe's last season in this, have been coached pragmatically to be on the back foot, to try and counter-attack, and to also be really, really good in converting chances. That's fair. And that got us over the line, got us promoted. That kept us up in the Premier League. But this is not the vision anymore. This is a new vision that Bill Foley and the team want to achieve. So why is it that Andoni comes in and somehow his backroom staff are Gary O'Neill's backroom staff 
a team that's also worked with coaches that are pragmatically coaching the team. And I feel like Andoni's not only coaching these players to play differently and be more energetic and be more aware, but he's also trying to teach Tommy Elphick and Sean Cooper how to coach this team on the training pitch. Yeah, I think it's just off one of your early points. I'd probably say Scott Parker, the best of Scott Parker is quite dynamic, quite athletic. When they're on form, you know, they, they could press quite high. They could play uh, out from the back. They, they try to be on the front foot, you know, dominate possession in a few, in a lot of games. Um, but yeah, you're right in terms of Eddie Howe, that last season, quite counter-attack, transitional, Gary O'Neill as well. I think it's always good to have players that have, that have become coaches. They know the club. They're, they're good coaches within their own right. I think they did a fantastic job last season. Tommy Alphick, Sean Cooper, um, they know the standards. They can be the bridge between, obviously, the new and old. And I think that's really important to have them around. Um, but, you know, we were talking about this the other day, Kirk. Um, Ralph Hasner, I'll, I'll compare this to his, his final years at Southampton. When he came into Southampton, when things were at their best, he had an assistant there that he knew, um, Danny Roll, who's now the Sheffield Wednesday manager. When he left, he was left with people that were already at the club and ex-players. And Hasnetal, like Ariola, he they play a certain way. They have to play high pressing, and they believe in it. They will. They won't change for anyone. Um, so you need people there that will have their ear, but also they know how to coach and how to train it. And having all that just makes a manager's job, a coach's job on the training pitch, so much easier because there's 24, 25 players, and. And only might be talking to the striker to ha- how to time his run, how to slow down to press. But what are the rest of the players doing? You know, are they standing around or are they getting coached? Are they getting a little word in the ear from from his assistant? And these are the little things, the small marginal gains that will either decide whether the press is effective or it, or it completely falls into tatters. Do we know how many men or how many staff have come with Andoni from his La Liga days? Are we aware of this? He's got one fitness coach one fitness coach so everyone else was in the previous setup of of last season i assume yeah as i said i don't think i don't think it's an issue with that they you know they did a, they did their job last season and the, the young manable coaches who i'm sure doing their best they they might even have a similar vision but they don't they don't have the rapport with Andoni. And, uh, and I think that's obviously one of the reasons why he, he had to have a few more with him just to compliment tommy alfick and, and sean cooper And we love all these guys, by the way. We've mentioned this time and time again, but if we're going to succeed, it's a drastic change in what we're trying to do. We've never done this before. We've never hired outside of Britain. And it's not, you're never going to build this in a day. Rome has never built in a day. I've said that before. So what was going to help Andoni before a ball was kicked, Jacob, or during a ball was kicked because the transfer window goes into the end of August, was to recruit well. And some of these players we're finding out were identified before Andoni was appointed. We thought we may have got caught up in the in the motions. Um, I think I got carried away with it a little bit. It looked like we had a fantastic transfer window. On reflection, I think partially we've we've let Andoni down here. We have a bit of an un- imbalance in the side. We haven't really backfilled Jeff Lerma, who played thirty-seven Premier League games for Gary O'Neill and Scott Parker last season, and he's left a massive hole in that midfield. We signed Tyler Adams, who we now know is injured to at least March with a hamstring that he already had from Leeds. We've got all these wingers that I'm sure we're going to talk about that in general have not hit the ground running. And it looks like we haven't really given Andoni again the tools within the recruitment to achieve this style on the pitch to pick up points. 
Uh, maybe not. I, I do think that the players they've signed are really good, talented players and players that a lot of clubs were interested in. You know, you can say basically they started the recruitment, you know, in terms of buying young, hungry players that they can sell eventually for a better market price in January. Zabarnier, you know, players like that, you know, the groundwork was being laid then. So they were trying to move into this more dynamic uh, front foot athletic team. Um, but you get again, right, I think they've brought a lot of good players, but I don't know if they've covered all bases. And I was the same as you. I was working on the Sinistiera, Jaden Anti-Swap deal late into deadline day. And afterwards, I came back. I was talking to a few people at the club and I said, you know what, you've had a really good, one of the best transfer windows. You know, I think you signed a great calibre of players, really hungry, good potential. But then you think, okay, football's not played on paper. Then you start to look at it and you think, okay, Tyler Adams, everyone knew he would be out for a long time. They knew it was a hamstring. He probably would, he could suffer a reoccurrence. That's happened. Have you got another number six in that Jefferson Lerma mould? And by the way, I think you could probably get an upgrade in Jefferson Lerma. So I didn't see that there's too much worry about an extension because he's getting on a little bit. I think, you know, you probably could get someone that's quite young and hungry. And I think Tyler Adams, when he's on form, can do that. Um, but then also you look at the left-back situation as well. That's, you know, with a 19-year-old kid, I know Adam Smith can play there, but and Lloyd Kelly, but you probably want someone that in that exact same up and up and down mould. And then obviously the winger situation. And I thought maybe Andoni might play a number 10. He might put David Brooks in it as a number 10 or you know, a 4 2 3 1, things like that, just to give a bit of variation. But you know, he hasn't so far. So I think there's a lot of good players, but like I say, angles may not be covered and I'm finding that out now. Yeah, totally agree. And John Sparks mentioned that in a previous stream about Milos Kerkers being the only left back and the kid is 19 and he's trying his best and he's going to make mistakes and he's carrying that position on his own. We know other players can play it, but not naturally. Tyler Adams. Now, how have we got to this point, right? Because Lewis Cook's tried to hold that number six position and we've questioned Lewis Cook in, in many seasons about whether he can hold that. And I like Lewis Cook and I think he's a good squad player, but if we're looking to improve on what we did last season and get close to mid-table, I think Lewis Cook should be a squad player. He shouldn't be our natural number six if everyone's fit. Joe Rothwell's not a natural number six. And Tyler Adams is signed and everyone's bubbly. Everyone starts to think we can finally get over Jefferson Lerma. He comes on for 20 minutes against Stoke. Then the breaking news comes out that he's we might not see him. He may not make a Premier League appearance. And you just highlighted there that the club knew this hamstring was not in good shape. Have we just taken this punt hoping that some people in the medical team have got it wrong? Or is it a fact of it's deeper than that? Because we know that there's a connection to America. Bill Foley is the owner from America and trying to spread this badge across the world. I'd first heard of Bournemouth's interest in Tyler Adams about four weeks before before. Um, they signed him so pre the Chelsea interest and things like that and you know what we were hearing is that yeah Tyler Adams obviously will likely move but, but there's a possibility that he won't move till January because there are a lot of clubs concerned with his hamstring the leads were thinking you know the progress is a lot very slow going it's quite a, it's a very severe hamstring injury you can't really do much with it you can't exactly do any exercises because at any point it could snap and go again um, but Obviously, Bournemouth had waited. They bided their time. The whole thing with Chelsea happened, and you're thinking, "Who's is anyone going to take a risk now?" Because it is a risk. He's not going. He wasn't going to be fit till he shouldn't really be fit till October. So that's immediately a couple of months out of your season if everything goes well. Um, and obviously, they, they rushed him back or they played him in a game that they should have done. 
and he's done it again because the hamstring injury in the first place was so severe. And I don't see an issue with with signing him. Um, the issue is I don't think I think you should have got another number six to to complement him uh, and maybe say let's have one less winger. Uh, let's not sign you know Clive, but let's have another midfielder. I think Lewis could, like you say, he's a, I think he's you know he's, a, he's your number six in the championship. He's fantastic in the championship, and I think he can play in a double pivot in the Premier League at times. But you need a really much more dynamic, much more. Uh, combative midfielder in there and Tyler Adams on his best day could be an upgrade on Jefferson Lerma I think he's probably better on the ball but he hasn't got the robustness and he, he hasn't got that physical dominance that that Bournemouth fans need and especially in that system as well where you've got a press like like hell for, for 90 minutes and I just want to highlight also talking about Sinistera and I thought I felt for, J- for Jaden at the time but I felt like it might have been a good move for Jane because I felt like once the squad got fit I felt like Jaden Anthony would struggle to get minutes and I thought that it'd be good for Jane to go back in the championship he ripped it up before Leeds are a good side they're probably going to do well in the championship we don't want them to go up but he would be in a team where he'd be able to get mm. on the ball and and get goals and Sinistera coming in I thought actually although we probably didn't need another winger it's probably a good sign in He's 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 played a, f- a few minutes, Jacob. But I've not been blown away. And and on reflection, I'm I'm thinking, Jaden must be thinking, what's going on? Like, he probably had more ambition. He probably had more energy. And it's early days. It's hard to judge Sinistera completely at the moment. But from what I've seen, I I don't quite understand why we probably upset one of our academy players and brought in someone who, for me, doesn't even get in starting lineup. No, I think it reminds me like you know when you like you you have, you go to the cinema and you you have a bag of sweets and you, you finish your sweets and you think right I've finished mine but there's still a little bit left of the movie um shall I just borrow someone uh, shall I nick someone else's I think that's what Bournemouth thought you know they'd done everything by deadline day but they thought hold on Sinistera wants to leave there's a few clauses in his contract that means he can leave you know he's a good player should we, should we do it and I think it's one of those we thought you know let's just have a, you know, a few more sweets and Jaden Nancy. You know, he's not he's not the most luxury name, is he? Um, so it was just a bit of a weird situation. You had the fact that you're born for playing the next day. Anthony had travelled with a squad, was in a team hotel, was unaware. And then within an hour, basically, one guy was coming in the door. One guy was leaving the whole team hotel. Um, so it was quite ruthless like that. But I went to one of Bournemouth's pre-season games. And Jane Anthony was playing right back. And immediately that told me, one, there's a shortfall of options at right back. But two, and only really trust him defensively. And he thinks he's a very intelligent um, player that can adapt, that can go forward, but also knows his duties out of possession. And for a guy like Andoni, I think out of possession responsibilities are as important, if not more important, than what you do on the ball. Uh, and Jane Anthony, it was quite clear that he trusted him to carry out their duties. Uh, the fact is, since has come in with dodgy injury record, goes away on international duty, long haul flights, not going to play as much, not going to be as available. And he doesn't know the system as well as Jaden Anthony. So although Sinister is probably a more talented player on paper, right now with what Bournemouth need, maybe Jaden Anthony was the far less deluxe version, but it's probably the more effective. We can't do anything till January now. But what we are going to do, Jacob, is have a look at a graphic that's not pretty. It is AFC Bournemouth's results so far in the Premier League. Three draws. The rest are losses. And when you look at that graphic, Jacob, I will ask for your thoughts. What I see is I see games where we were so close to getting three points at Brentford and we switched off. We almost got the three points at home to Chelsea if it wasn't for Sanchez's toe, Dom Solanke scores. But in almost every game bar two, maybe Tottenham and one other, 
we've literally shot ourselves in the foot in all of them. Errors, mistakes, switching off, not making the right decisions. And then what you get when you look deeper than that, Jacob, is you see a squad that on paper is talented individually, but you don't see many leaders. You don't see many partnerships. And it opens itself up to really feeling sorry for Andoni Iriola again, because this job is a lot harder than probably what he expected. And when you don't get that first win, pressure just ramps up. Yeah, it does. I looked at, obviously, the fixture schedule, and I'm sure supporters did, staff did, and you knew it was going to be tough, especially with the injuries and everything, you know, in quite a transitional period. Um, I, but I think for the first bad defeat was the Everton game. I know there's others where you probably say you could win that game. But you look at Everton, you think, ooh, you know, it's all right with Everton winning, but just a man of performance where you think, I don't, maybe this pressing system's not quite clicking yet, you know, things look a little bit scrambled you know, the, the goal where Zavania loses it I know it's a bit of misfortune but you think Lewis Cook's there in in the middle of the back two but no, no that looks quite right um so that was a bad performance but obviously the Wolves game as well um with Lewis Cook's red card so there, there are caveats and it's really important especially this system which demands so much from players energy wise um you know they have to work so hard that they that the coach is validated immediately so he gets that first win and he says look boys if you work this way, if you play this way, this is a result and you get full buying from the players. The fact you haven't got a win yet and you're expecting and you're telling your players to run as hard as they are, maybe, you know, these players naturally will haven't got haven't given the full buying to Andoni yet because they don't see the results being validated on the pitch. You're thinking they're working all this hard, but is it is what we're being told to do as effective? So it's so important that Andoni got that early result just to not only obviously keep everything calm but to show players internally inside the dressing room that actually what we're doing is right and will bear fruit longer term i used to and still do really love your stuff jacob i still follow you although you don't cover bournemouth week in week out i still follow you and you really get down to the detail and i said this with andoni Ariola. i said i'm really ex- excited i know we're gonna lose some games with this style i still think we'll comfortably stay up this style should add goals it will also mean you're unlikely to keep many clean sheets. My fear was with this group of players that may struggle to adapt and it will take time. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jacob, in your experience. I feel like if if every single player or if one player decides that they're not in for the cause or the press, for example, and one decide, one player decides actually I don't feel it and doesn't press, you just get eaten alive. The example for that is Arsenal. I mean, Sinchenko picks up the ball on the halfway line with 20 yards worth of space and the pass to him was from the goalkeeper. Mm. And then you start to question where we are now and think, do they believe it? Do they want to believe it? Do they want to try? I don't I don't, I can't, I don't know where we are at the moment, but Andoni's clearly trying to get these players to see what the vision is. But I don't feel like the full buy-in's there. No, it's natural. You'll see players that will step onto that turf on Saturday that some of them won't quite fully believe in the project or believe in the style of play. And that's natural. As I said earlier, you have to get that first win to show the results. Uh, But like you say, you have to you have to have 100% conviction in, in your principles. And Donny won't change the style. If he changes the style, that's him done. You saw, you know, I covered Slanton last season. As soon as Harsland went more pragmatic, less defensive or less on the front foot, he was done. So Andoni has to stick with that. Uh, but there's two things that he needs to do. He needs to make sure he picks players that understand how uh, he how to press, how to play his style, but also manage 
to obviously have the full buying. And if you're a few yards off the press, if you don't recognise the triggers, as you say, you get played around. Uh, and I think it'll be a great test on Saturday if the players are with him, if the majority of players are with him, they'll, they should win that game against Burnley. If they're not, you know, and maybe I think obviously you, you'll start to hear that they're, they're not with with Andoni, then they'll lose that game. Um, so this is a crunch moment for for him in his tenure and for Bournemouth as well as, as a as a broader structure. Because if if they lose that game, then you're going to start obviously facing inwards, turning inwards, and looking at the question um, the question of sacking Gary O'Neill, hiring Andoni, and the decision makers that have done that. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I don't think it sends out a good message with regards to Andoni if he does bin it all off. What I have said in the last few weeks, Jacob, as we struggle to still get that first Premier League win, is he may have to adapt just a little bit, just a little bit to try and get that win. I don't want him to bin it off and turn into a pragmatic football team just to get the three points because... I think it basically tells the team, the fans and and the board that you don't even believe in your your, your own principles. So you've got to stick with it, but you may have to adapt against Burnley. Let's take a look then, Jacob, at what Bournemouth have got coming up in the next six. Because I think we're really into a situation now where it is really important we pick up points. Mm. I think we have to stick to the vision over 38 games. What is the plan for the next three seasons? But in the next six, we do need to pick up Premier League points. And it does start home against Burnley. We then go off to Manchester City, Newcastle at home, Sheffield United away, Villa at home and Crystal Palace away. So I think Bill Foley's flying in for this game. I don't think our record's very good when he does this, by the way, but he probably wants his own eyes on what's going on. It's a big day for Andoni Iriola. Burnley are not in great shape either. Only the one win against Luton. I think they've conceded the second most goals in the league with the lowest goal scorers, but they do concede in every single game. What are you expecting on Saturday from this team, from Andoni, from Bournemouth? I think you'll see straight away if, if... Bournemouth are there mentally because Burnley would, you know, Villa have played Burnley. They will try and dominate possession. They're basically a lower grade version of Man City. They'll keep the ball around the back, you know, the inverted fullbacks. And Bournemouth will, will be able will be without the ball for a long for long spells. And it's how they press, it's how, when they press, it's how compact they are, the defensive line as well. They have to really be in good shape. And, you know, I, I watch a lot of cricket. That England are doing very well at the moment because they've gone into their shells. They've tried to be a little bit more pragmatic. If anything, to get out of this rut, I think Andoni's got to be even more extreme in what he does. I think he wants to, to tell the players to press even harder, to go forward quicker, um, to, to look forward straight away and let's play those balls, take more risks because that is, the braver you are, the more effective Andoni's um, Ariola's pressing um, and game plan is. So I, I do expect Bournemouth to fly out of the traps and they need to get that early goal. Uh, and then keep that going. They can't have any lulls. I think, obviously, the, yeah, I haven't been to any games in the league this season, but the atmosphere will be really important. And there will be periods where Bournemouth will have to suffer, I imagine, where things will get nervy, but they have to make sure they remain brave. And and if they, I think you'll see in the substitutions he makes as well, whether that is the case. If you take off Solanke or you take off one of the more forward players and you bring a, bring a defender on, then maybe um, it shows that results are more important than and believing in your principles. And if we learn anything from last week, we need to keep our heads in a real important moment of our season. Some were saying it was season-defining last week. It most definitely is season-defining this week. Some big decisions for Andoni this week, Jacob. I think it's time for Neto to have a bit of a rest. 
the guy, in my opinion, has cost us five magic, not magic, massive moments <laughs> where we've conceded goals and it's been costly. And there was another one last week that cost us a point. Lewis Cook, of course, had that moment of madness where he, uh, unfortunately, well, he put his head onto Huang and fell into the trap and you can't do that. So what do you think Andoni does this week? I think he needs to show some ruthlessness. I think he needs to pick Radu. I, I'm not I'm not going to lie. I don't have much more confidence confidence in Radu or Randolph, but Radu's your number two, right? So yeah. if you're going to take Neto out the firing line, you put Radu in. And then there's the big question mark over who plays Lewis Cook's role. And we have spoken on the channel about potentially putting Senesi in there. Senesi struggled at centre-back this season, but he does have the attributes to protect the back line and he can play with the ball. can break up play. He has a bit of toughness about them. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I, th- I think he obviously, I think he will stick with Neta, um, the captain. Radu is a huge, huge uh, task to come into that type of game. Uh, if only you had a, a, play- a keeper that was championship, uh, your championship player this season, uh, and didn't get binned after after a game like that. And I still think Mark Travers should be Bournemouth's number one, but that's a separate argument. Uh, Snazi, yeah, completely take your point, but it's different because he's having to receive with people other opposition 360 degrees around him I think it's very difficult for him especially if you want to be at tempo setter that play through the lines it's, it's quite it's easier to play it from the back um, when you can see the picture ahead of you but when there's pressure from different angles it's difficult so I think Senezi is probably a good option to in the last 25 minutes in that midfield I wouldn't start him there um, you look at you probably look at Rothwell um, and you probably say he's obviously with, he got a bit more drive in terms of when he has the ball yeah, I, I would probably start him there. Gavin Kilkenny, he's not nowhere near the team, but Burnley aren't the most physical anymore. That was the old Burnley. They're a very high possession turnover team. And if Gavin Kilkenny had more games in his legs, then I think probably stylistically he they could get away with playing him in this game. But yeah, I, I'd probably go with Rothwell. Uh, and then you go Philip Billing, but maybe you start to say, maybe Alex Scott, maybe you need someone a bit more defensively sound. Um, but yeah, these are decisions that Andoni has to make, but I'll, yeah, I'll go with Rothwell. See, that's when it makes me laugh a little bit because we thought we had such a great transfer window and now we're potentially looking at Gavin Kilkenny, who was struggling to get into teams in League One and the Championship starting for us. And we've all got a big affection for Gavin Kilkenny, but this side was meant to take us on to a different level. And that's when you just sit back and go, what went wrong? in August that we've got ourselves in this position and you've highlighted you may have signed Tyler Adams but we effectively probably signed another number six and and Ben Pearson probably gets in this side right now doesn't he so yeah. um another interesting one so that's Burnley we hope we can get the win Jacob of course what happens <laughs> there I say it what happens if we lose to Burnley, because we've spoken about Andoni not throwing out the rule book and dropping everything he believes in. We lose to Burnley. Does Bill Foley drop everything he believes in, that he's only believed in in three or four months just to get to 38 points and survive? Or does he just try and find the next man that could deliver what he wants? He will obviously listen to those that are on the ground. Um, obviously, Richard Hughes, Neil Blake, um, and you could say, in some ways, it's a little. It's maybe a bit of a surprise that Richard Hughes, and Neil Blake, are still there because, from just history, you look at new takeovers. Um, Bill Foley or any new owner would like his own men running the club. Uh, he's got that in different departments at, at Bournemouth, but he hasn't got that in the football department. So the fact that Blake and Hughes are still there, which shows a, a high level of trust in them, it shows that he 
thinks they're good at their jobs. Uh, and Hughes, I'd say, has bought quite well, although he hasn't bought, he hasn't had all the angles covered. And I do think the players that he has signed will look good over time. Um, but he will have to rely on them and, and see what they think. I think Richard Hughes obviously had a big say behind uh, Andoni's appointment. He wants it to work desperately. Uh, but Bill Foley will, stand, will have to look at his financial accounts, see the money he's invested and think, it, should we take the risk or should we just preserve and stay in this Premier League for, for one more season uh, and make sure we get the project training ground all of that done? Um, so it's a difficult decision. Uh, I think if, if Bournemouth lose to Burnley at home, that, that could be it. Um, so it's so important that that doesn't happen. And not only do they win this game, but then they have to probably take a point from, from Newcastle because of the bad, the bad form against Everton and Wolves. Yeah, Jacob. And I don't think it's fair on Andoni to really talk about what replacements we could go for right now. What I would say is if you're free and we do hit this scenario, it might be good to get your thoughts, whether on a video or on a stream, but it is going to be an interesting time at five o'clock. I think we'll either have a, a little buzz come into our bodies that we've missed. We haven't seen a win outside of the Carabao Cup for a long time, nearly six months, I believe. We know we've had pre-season in the middle of that. But that'll be a nice feeling. But yeah, if it doesn't, if we lose the game or even draw, I think I think it's it's going to be a very, very tough atmosphere inside the stadium. So Gary O'Neill, to sort of wrap up this sort of stream and video that we're doing. And I and I want I want to pick this up, right? Because I think the questions that are going around potentially, Jacob, are not correct. So we know that you've always delivered great stuff for us and you try and stick up for us. We find as AFC Bournemouth fans that the media are a little bit harsh on us. We feel like we're we're fighting our own battles. Sometimes we have to put a wall around us. And Gary O'Neill was on Monday Night Football with Jamie Carragher. And to be fair, the question in some of the media is why did they swap from Gary O'Neill to Andoni Iriola? And for me, Jacob, that's not the question. That's not the question for me. Because Bill Foley didn't believe that Gary O'Neill had an identity or philosophy that could deliver this Brighton-type model or something that could be really exciting. The question for me, coming down the road potentially, is just whether Andoni is the right man to deliver this. And that's all it should be. And you put a tweet out saying it's not about the narrative. It's about thriving over surviving. And I just would like to thank you for that tweet. And I know a lot of people did. But just sort of elaborate on what you're saying there, because that's how I feel. Yeah, Gary Neal, uh, he spoke extremely well uh, in one of the football. I think he's tactically so, so intelligent, such an intelligent coach, but he's an adaptable coach and he's one that's probably in the lead, lean on the side of pragmatism. And that's fantastic for certain clubs. Look at Wolves, they had an awful preseason. They need someone to steady the ship. Gary Neal was perfect for that. No problem at all. And maybe with time, it will then show that he's, he's more than that. And I think he, he could do. But right now, what Bournemouth want with a new owner, they want someone that's more progressive. They want someone that can work with this young talent that, that has an identity in terms of athletic front foot to, to build and to sculpt these players. And that's what recruitment is geared towards. The fact is they haven't probably got the same, the processes in place like Brighton have to make sure they're successful and for the formula to work. You know, Graham Potter built or Chris Hughton built it probably what Gary O'Neill kind of does in terms of being that pragmatic, making sure everything's stable. Graham Potter developed it and they'll deserve to be taken on to another level. And it's whether Andoni's the one that's going to bear the fruit himself or is it going to be someone else? I think whether they sack him is whether they believe in the processes and take away, de take away defeats, take away the points. Do they believe, similar to what Arsenal do with Arteta, do you both believe that although things aren't, doing, aren't going well now, that the, the foundation is being built for it to prosper longer term? 
and that's where player buying where you've got to look at other players man are playing for him if they're not then he'll he'll be sacked if they are and they like him and they say this is working yeah, there's a good chance or a better chance that he will stay so these are all the things that are more deeper more profound than just surface level results you know people can just look at that these are all these things that need to be considered and yeah gary Neal, like i say really good coach but bournemouth want to compete they want to punch above their weight they want to get top 10 top eight you know regularly in seasons gary Neal, as he showed last season he had a good run of games not can't quite do that yet um but if he is given a platform he can it's just right now he was the wrong manager at, wrong manager at the wrong time and only they hoped was the right manager but as i said as you said he's being hamstrung in with misfortune but also the, the structure overall structure of the club not quite being ready yet and I know you're watching football from Dizzy Heights near the top of the Premier League week in, week out. But if there is another positive for AFC Bournemouth fans right now, this league does still have a good chance of survival. Sheffield United are not pulling up trees. Burnley are not pulling up trees. Luton are fighting hard. It may be three from four, but even after all of this, Jacob, no wins yet on the board. There's still a very good chance that Bournemouth can survive, finish 17th and regroup. Yeah, you just saying if they if you you know if Bournemouth beat Burnley, then the picture looks so much more rosier. Then you get a you know, nice point against Newcastle, Aston Villa at home, and all of a sudden you're 15th, you're 14th, heading into Christmas. You think, oh done, we've had a pretty bad start to the season, but look at that, we've got great scope for improvement. And I do think the relegated the relegated teams are, are much easier to call than last season. I think there's good competition last year, but this year looks like you know the teams that could come up you know are in a good chance that they'll go down again so yeah one win will completely change the, the narrative the dynamic and hopefully the atmosphere around the club and within the squad too i mean you know it better than anyone else i mean a week changes in football doesn't it <laughs> it does it's uh it's a crazy crazy game is you think you know everything's quite doom and gloom at the moment but so Bournemouth turn over burnley three nil then all of a sudden and has got everyone pressing and everyone singing to his tune yeah, fantastic. Jacob, I always enjoy having conversations with you. I think you're level-headed. I think you see it, how it really is inside the AFC Bournemouth fan base. I know you're covering Aston Villa this season. You've got a European tour, so you're going anywhere this week? Are you on a plane? Yeah, tomorrow morning, uh, Wednesday morning, I'm going to Amsterdam. So uh, not much uh, holidays. It's going to be just basically staying in the hotel, doing some work. But yeah, they're playing Alkmaar on Thursday evening. So it should be fun. But yeah, as I said, Whenever there's a big story around Bournemouth, I'll do my best to write about them and cover. And I think, hopefully, I've done a, obviously interviewed Junior Stanislas last week. So, yeah, uh, great guy. I think there'll be more, um, hopefully, coming as well. Is he um, Is he potentially joining this coaching <laughs> setup? Well, he's, he's moving into under 18 to under 23. And so I asked him, I said, hold on, you know, look at the record. There might be an opportunity for you to, to progress quite quickly. And he said, hold on, I just need to get coaching first. Um, but, you know, the pathway is there, isn't it, for these players that are retiring? Great stat for you as well, Jacob. And you probably know this. Do you know that Junior Stanislas is the last player for us to score in a league game from a direct free kick? How bonkers is that? Championship. You know, I, I, I was thinking this the other day. I can't remember when I covered them. I can't remember them scoring from a free kick. I think Billing was taking him and he's just hammering against the wall. He, yeah. he, didn't he hit the post outside the post at Leicester? last year i can remember that one but i'm sure the junior stanislas correct us in the comments i'm sure the junior stanislas one was against reading was the last direct free kick in the league joe rothwell scored in the carabao cup you know shot straight cross um but yeah it's uh he's still hanging on to that junior he's still 
I, I said to actually who would take the free kicks, and he was saying that Lewis Cook and Philip Billing are, are the two best, so they need to start stepping up a little bit. And finally, we might be seeing you, if you're not too busy, in a few weeks as Aston Villa take on Bournemouth. Hopefully their form dips a bit. A bit. Ollie Watkins is absolutely loving life at the moment. Yeah, they're a very good side. I mean, Unai Emery is, is building something right there. We're talking about trying to build this. And, and just very quickly, I mean, how's that happened? Is it taking Unai time? Or because I see we get on with a lot of podcasters and I think it's up the Villa podcast. And Luke there has said that he's never seen or enjoyed his life so much following Villa and he can only thank Unai Emery for that. And that's something we're trying to live for, I suppose, in time. It's interesting because we were talking about the Andoni not having an assistant. Emery is basically his club. He's bought in, you know, two dozen Spanish-speaking assistants. The whole club's basically been built by him. He's got so many. And obviously it's a risk because if things go wrong, then you probably have to get rid of a lot of more staff. But everything is sculpted for him everything makes his life easy so he can just focus on the pitch and focus on his philosophy and and yeah Emery you know I think they're fourth in the league since if you look at just the form since he took over it's so so efficient so effective everything's singing to the same the same beat um but the only thing that Bournemouth might think in their favour is that obviously the Thursday Sunday schedule for, mm. for, for Villa um they do get tired especially towards the end or um after an international break so maybe Bournemouth might catch them on, on a good day thank you Jacob Take well, well, look after yourselves, take care, and we'll speak to you soon. Thank you, coach. Cheers. Thank you to you, the fans, for checking out this video. Do get your comments below, subscribe to the channel, hit the like button, and thank you to those monthly members. That's been Jacob Tanswell on this video. I'm sure you've absolutely loved it. If you've listened to this on the podcast, do what you've got to do to also support that platform. But from me and Jacob on this one, we'll see you on the next one. Up, cherries. <laughs>